0: All right, everyone, welcome to another No Give Required podcast, On The Road. And here today have someone that i uh, very yeah. special in a way because it's an American playwright, film director, screenwriter, and an author, mm-hmm. David Mammoth. I don't know how I can take Renato to make that possible. And yeah. this is incredible. Mm -hmm. also here with me jay as always very happy to be here at street sports and uh it's incredible time And, and david i have so many questions to you and um i knew about you but i'm start reading and i could not stop reading and it's too many questions for one podcast how how did it all start for you to to start writing to start getting involved with that creativity because it's it's very challenging you know a lot of people they write but not everyone can write how that starts for you and on your life writing be involved with the entertainment and be so successful
1: well you gotta if you want to join the circus you gotta run away to the circus right kids today they think Okay, if I study screenwriting, if I study directing, if I study acting, I can get a job in the system, and they think they can enter it laterally, but you can't. If you want to join the circus, you've got to run away to the circus. You've got to say, I don't have anything to fall back on because I tried that, it doesn't work, but like I say to myself, I can't study. I never opened a school book. I don't understand the questions. Everybody always thought I was stupid. I I couldn't get it. I couldn't sit in school. So those are the kids who traditionally ran away to the circus. So if you run away to the circus, you want to be a high wire act. The first thing they're going to say is, "Okay, start start cleaning up the elephant shit. Right. So you clean up the elephant shit for a while. Eventually you talk to the guys, you say, teach me, teach me to do the high wire act. So he says, get away, kid. I don't want to want you. So you don't go away day after day. Two, you know, two months later, three weeks later, you say, let me get your coffee. And after you um, uh, bother him enough, he says, "Ah, oh, fuck it. He says, I'll, <laughs> I'll show you one thing, <laughs> right? So if you're lucky enough to find somebody like that, right, like several people in my life in various fields and not though here, so I'm going to show you one thing. When you can do that one thing perfectly. I'll show you something else. So that's the way it works in the magic world. Right? You can't get in. You can't... Uh, you want to apprentice yourself to a master, they're going to say, go away. And eventually they'll say, I'll show you how to do one thing. When you can do one thing perfectly, I'll show you something else. So I always say, somebody could do perfectly the things not those showed me in three months. Nobody could beat me. If I could do those five things perfectly. So that's how you start off in show business.
0: Because it's amazing is uh, I. I love to watch movies, and I never knew a lot of the movies that I saw in my life, you wrote those. Mm -hmm. When, when, When did you get your creativity to be able sometimes and to do so well to translate a novel into a movie, make plays for Broadway and all of this, how that sinks in on you, how that becomes... I wake up today and I have that idea. Or I saw something in the street. That's yeah, your creative process.
1: That's, well, hard, yeah, that yeah, that's a very you. good question. The answer is I don't know. I don't know. But like you guys, you know, you told me the stories of growing up in Brazil. You get up in the morning, you have to drag Renato out of bed. And you train for five, ten hours a day, every day, every day, <laughs> every day. Well, if you do that for 50 years, you're probably going to learn something. But I was very, very lucky when I was a kid because... Um, I had my own theater companies in Chicago, 22 years old, bunch of kids. Uh, William H. Macy was one of them, a lot of wonderful actors. And we got together, we put on plays. So we were all working as I was a cab driver, Macy was a bartender, one of the girls was a B-girl. Uh, everybody had to work for a living. We, we, we took our money and we put on these plays. And we started charging money. We said, well, wait a second. If I charge everybody two bucks for this play, I'm not going to have to work so hard as a cab driver. So that I started writing plays. And that was back in Chicago, back in Chicago. So it's just like in the, just like in circus. Everybody does everything. Right, the clown can also work on a high wire. The juggler, blah blah blah. So if you got your own theater company, you say, "I got the audience coming, man. I got no play to do next month." Well, somebody better write one. Oh, how about you? Good. So everybody wrote plays. They say, "Jesus, if I'm acting it, I can't direct it." The other guy said, "Fuck it, I'll direct it." So that's how you learn, because you learn from the audience, because everybody's got an idea. Right? You can't tell somebody they're not a good writer. It's too shameful. I don't, I don't want someone to tell me I'm not a good writer. It's devastating. So you really can't teach somebody to write, but the audience can. Because if you're sitting over there you're watching the play that's perfect and the audience goes to sleep, you're so humiliated. But on the other hand, you don't take it personally. So if, if you're going to stick with it, you say, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to do that again. So next time you do something else wrong, and next time you do something else wrong, and you learn that the most precious thing in the world is the audience's concentration. They're
0: the ones feeding you to see, I did it right, because as a, as
1: a group, you can't trick them. You know, individually, they're as stupid as, you know, me and not you, but you over there. But as a group, you can't trick them. If they got them on the edge of their seat, you better keep their attention. So one of the other things you'll learn is, I I do want to get you to see, it. I got this wonderful speech. I love the speech. With a speech where the guy says, many, many years ago when I was a kid, right, I love that speech. When you put it on the stage, the audience goes to sleep. So you say, well, I got two choices. I can keep the speech in and starve. Or I can take the speech out and learn something. So it's just like, like um, Tyson said, right? Everybody's got a pl- plan to plan till they get hit in the head, right? It's And also
0: <clears throat> it's known that you have a Mehmet pick. They know when it's people talking there, they know, oh, David Mimic wrote that. Yeah. You kind of have a brand in a way, the way you write
1: things. Well, that's just the way, I, you know, it's just like painters. You know, why did Chagall paint that way? You know, and, and some... Picasso painted another way. Could they have painted in different styles? Yeah, that's maybe. That's that's the way that they saw. So that's the way that I hear. Was this something you wanted to do when you were young? Oh, yeah. I always wanted to tell gags. I love telling gags. I love telling jokes. I love telling stories. So my people have been Jews for like 6,000 years. So the way Jews communicate with each other is through jokes and stories. Right? So that's the the culture that I grew up with. You know, it's, that's the way that we pass on information.
2: That's, it, it, it's just, it, we could be talking about what goes on in there when you're talking about how sure. you're all in. Of course. There's no halfway. It's just a complete commitment. And then oh, you yeah. learn You learn through the process and you kind of reinvent yourself along the way. That's Yeah. Because we, we noticed that. I mean, I know kind of researching you, there was... There's uh, directing, there's screenplays, there's writing, there's books, but at the core, you're a storyteller.
1: It's all storytelling. So the question is, what is the form? First, you have to understand the form. So if you can un- so understand the form, that's another thing that I do, and I think that serious people do. If you watch a movie or you listen to a joke, you listen to a song, say, wait a second, why did that work or why didn't that work? Mm-hmm. So one of the things, for example, like my wife and I love watching old movies, we watch an old movie every night and we say, okay, where did it fall apart? How would I have done it differently? So it's easy to see when it's about somebody else. It's very hard to see when it's about yourself because we take our, our work so personally. Because, so, like, if you said to someone, you know, I just have one small suggestion about your work, they'll respond, so, oh, then why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> right? <laughs> But you have so so much of, of 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 storytelling is is dealing with the shame. And if, I got a lot of friends who write for comedy for television. They say, "What do they do for a living?" They say, "They spend their work shaving syllables. That's what they do. If there's one extra syllable in a joke, the, the joke doesn't." So they say, "Why does?" I know this joke is funny. Why doesn't it work? Right. So they put themselves in the position of the audience. Not a problem for the, the difficulty for young kids coming up is they never see their stuff with an audience all the stuff on television all the stuff in the movies and streaming you' never watch it with an audience so what you're watching it with is executives would you say you think that experience with the audience helped you
0: to write for a movie
1: of course it's the same thing the form is a little bit different but the but the um the philosophy is the same. How do I keep their attention? Mm-hmm. How do I make them wonder what happens next? That's the that's what storytelling is. I say two guys go into a bar, so all of a sudden you're like, yeah. Right? So as soon as I say two guys got into a bar, I've got your attention. How do I keep it? So on a play, the only way you can keep it is through the dialogue. Right? In a movie, you keep it through telling a story through pictures. You really don't need dialogue in a movie. Right.
0: Do you, do you, some of the things you wrote for a movie, did you picture which actor would be playing this part? You have someone like, man, I think I saw this guy in a movie. He might be the right fit for what I'm writing.
1: When I first started doing movies, I had my own company of uh, people I work with in the theater and on on Broadway in Chicago. So I wrote for them. But after that, I wrote a bunch of movies for hire. And the thing is, it really doesn't matter. What you want, and this is, uh, let me talk to the audition process for a second. Most of the audition process has always been come in, you say you want to play the part of Joe the policeman, okay, read the part of Joe the policeman. What's the wrong way to do it, right? Because if I say audition, you're doing, put on a show for me, right, you haven't, You haven't prepared to do that part. You're going to do the most obvious thing. So you're always going to end up with the most obvious actor for the part. So the other way to do it is I don't want you to audition for the part. I want to know if you can act. Right? Am I going to cast you as a penguin? No. Because you aren't fitted to play a penguin. But if you're an actor, you look like a cop. I say, yeah, I'll give you the part for, for a cop. I don't know how I got into that. Maybe it was just my pet theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the question Do you have to write for this act. No, I got to write for somebody who knows how to act.
0: And you know, I had an opportunity with Renato once. It was somewhere in Santa Monica, I think. When you have your on your, your member and founder of the Atlantic Theater, and I saw a lot of people trying to become an actors, and saw you as a, their teacher. And I remember mm-hmm. watching them, and in fact, it was me, John, and Renato yeah, came from
3: the, in. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the I came to see. David yeah. teaching the class. <laughs> yes,
0: he was teaching the class, and I was impressed. What would be the advice you can give someone that I want to become an actor, I want to be in this mm-hmm. business, I don't know
1: how to start? Good. Well, that's good. That's a very, that's a legitimate question. So what I would say is start your own theater company. Because these kids out here, we're now in Los Angeles, right? They spend all their lives auditioning. They spend all their lives in acting classes. They never go in any place. The way you have to you have to move to the side. It's just like jiu-jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu. you don't want to confront it up front. You don't want to put forces against force.
0: Because he's very know. You go to a restaurant, a lot of waitress, they send you a portfolio to yeah. somebody that's in the business, but...
1: That's never going to happen. Because yeah. what there is here, an illusion. You say, I'm so close. Anybody I meet during the day might give me a break if I smile in the right way. Well, no, that's not going to happen. So just show business, they've never done anything else. The only thing that people want is what they can't have. So if they can have you, which they'll do, right, philosophically, sexually, um, every goddamn way from Sunday, they will. But the only thing that they, they don't care, because anyone that says, I'll do anything, well, so will everybody, right? So there's no way to there differentiate yourself. are no different yourself. than anybody else out there. Yeah. I'll, I'll do more everything than anyone else will. Well, so will everybody. So what I would say is start your own theater company. Someone's going to hear about it. If it's good, someone will show up because they want to make a discovery, right? To see like 500 girls or boys look exactly the same and they're all named Jason and Brittany, you've got nothing to differentiate them. So the casting process is now, as far as I think, they all online. So the, everybody sends in their... What are Social
0: media and all that information. Yeah, yeah, they send in
1: the thing and the casting agent looks through it. But what they don't understand is for the casting agent and director, they're looking at it like this. No, 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 and eh, no, no.
0: It's no. more for how the people look than actually what they can
1: do? Exactly. Well, they don't, they're never going to see what they can do because they're looking at them. They, they're looking for something, but they don't know what they're looking for. They can't tell you. So... You got to differentiate yourself so the one thing i tell kids is if you got to be a part of that process first don't do it and secondly you have to lie because if you're auditioning people after the third person you can't remember the first person online and after the tenth person you just want to kill yourself <laughs> you can't remember so what happens at the end of the day is you got to pick somebody off of a list of 35 uh, social media things—you say, "Oh Christ, I don't know. Who is that girl? Who kind of look like an actress. I don't know. Who do you like?" So you have to make yourself memorable. And uh, the televangelists and television—they always had big hair, right? Yes. So you'd stop. You'd say, "Wait a second, what's that?" So they got your attention for a second. So one way to get their attention—if you have to go through this process—is do something different. Right, and the other way is you have to lie on your resume. For example, if you said, um, "I was a firefighter in Montana for three and a half years," United States Forest Service. A young woman says that you say, "Wow, that's interesting. Hey, who was that firefighter girl?" <laughs> so actors don't want to do this because they think, "Oh, they can." We have to do things by the book, but there isn't any book. So you you know, uh, Mad Max beyond the thunder zone. Yes, Yeah. yeah. there's the best line about fighting in the world you guys know what it is yes. tell them the, you won't break the rule i know you won't break the rules there aren't any yeah there's no <laughs> rules so it's the same thing it's the same thing in No rules. there aren't any right you got to put you got to get the other guy off balance a little bit It's something that calls
0: the attention. Do you see, what would say the biggest difference from the early days of you working and getting to this business in today's time?
1: What would be... So look, I'm 73, right? So I'm going to say the same... You don't look like 73. Oh, yeah? If you say 53, (laughs) I'll I'll go by that. No problem. I'm going to say the same thing that every guy who's 73 ever Mm -hmm. said to anybody. Not through history. Any guy who's 73 ever said to some young kid, coming out. You're fucked. It's all over. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. You missed it. I'm sorry for you. <laughs>
3: I agree. <Huh? laughs> yeah. Now let,
0: let's see hmm. what this is. And, and talking to yeah. Renato, I want to go to something that uh, <clears throat> I think we'd say our jiu-jitsu community is very proud of that to be able to reach out and have so many people with different backgrounds already very successful in their lives. Why Jiu-Jitsu? Why did you get involved in Jiu-Jitsu? How did that happen? How that well, in your life? Question. What is the impact? Because we all have that impact of Jiu-Jitsu in our life. What was that for you?
1: Well, for years I worked with an actor called Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill is a, a black belt from
0: Hard 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 see, school, and He's
1: been doing jiu-jitsu 30 plus years. And I was working with him in New York. I've worked with him forever since we were kids. And he, he just was talking about studying uh, jiu-jitsu in New York. He says, if you ever move out to Los Angeles, you've got to meet these guys. So I said, I'm never moving out to Los Angeles. It's a hellhole. Right, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my first week in Los Angeles. I move out here. I'm sitting at a restaurant, I run into Ed O'Neill, I say, Ed, da, 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 we sit on, we're having lunch. I said, yeah, you told me about those Brazilian guys, where are they? He says, they're right there. He yeah. takes me by the arm, uh, literally, around the corner, 100 feet, oh, There's street
0: sports. There was a the pizza that. place there? <laughs> yeah,
3: for yeah. the
1: California. Yeah. So I said, well, okay, duh, so we started out, you know, and. There we were. It was great. You know, I, I wrestled. They trained
3: They train in the beginning to do white belt to be sport for girls. What? What to so many times Jiu Jitsu. so many times. And he get involved in so many crazy things. Happened at competing, uh, MMA challenge, and fighting the 12 in Santa Monica. They get all this sweaty in the gym. Jim found their plot. The guy that remember the Samoa guy is supposed to build the shower or we'll take showers outside. They take showers outside like favelas from Brazil. <laughs>
0: what what was that to you that intrigued or attracted you the most in the jiu-jitsu world? I know having Renata's instructor is amazing because it's I never met anybody who doesn't like
1: him. Yeah. <laughs> How was that for you? That's oh, like, wonderful. You yeah. know I I uh I was very affected, I think, as a kid because I had a bunch of terrible, terrible teachers because my teachers told me I was nuts. They told me I was, I was stupid and they, they told me I couldn't read. So I always read like mad as a kid. I'd go to the library, so I did for fun, but I never opened a school book. So I used to go to the school and they'd say, "Oh, you, you know, because we used to read these books. Oh, Dick. See, Spot, run, run, Spot, run. Jane, Jane, see, Spot, run. Dick, Jane. See, that's what they. So I'm reading Tolstoy and shit. I'm like nine years old, and I can't read these books. So they put me in these remedial reading classes to teach me how to. So everybody treated me like I was an idiot. So I never went. I never paid any attention in school. But I met through my life. I met people who few people who could actually teach. One of them Manto. And it made the biggest difference on me and made me want to be a teacher because I said, Yeah, I know how to do it bad. Let me see if I can do it good, right? Never humiliate anyone. Treat them with the utmost respect. Always end on a positive note. Make things simple. Don't ask anyone to do anything you can't do. Yeah, absolutely. Take it easy, a step at a time. Be patient and be brave. So I always enjoy teaching because. I know what it's like to have bad teachers.
0: Is there anyone out there on the beginning of your life that inspired you to become a writer, to get involved in the movie? Anyone out there that made a little difference of something that yeah. you read about it or you see something, it's like, man, that's yeah, well, it's a good example.
1: Well, there are a couple of things. One is there's this improvisational theater in Chicago called Second City, right? It was the most famous uh, so I guess it still is improvisational theater. And when they were first starting out, in the early year, like 1960, I worked there as a busboy. And so I would see these guys improvising every night. And I'd see them improvising scenes, seven-minute commedio, tragicio scenes. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, man, I bet I can do that. So I started, I thought, well, yeah, I can. Then I, I became exposed to the works of uh, Harold Pinter and uh, Samuel Beckett who were basically doing the same thing. It was almost as if it was a transcription of an improvisation, right? Because most of what passes for playwriting and screenwriting is narration. Narration is, well, Jim, I see you're back from Botswana. Have you gotten over malaria down there? And how's June, your wife? Like, that's narration. (laughs) That's narration, yes. So writing is, where have you been?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I learned to take out the well, Jim, you're just back from Botswana, by w- watching these guys improvise. They started this scene in the middle, they got out early, and they made a point, and that was it. I said, Oh, get it, I get it. So I learned right on that the a unit of concentration for a player or a movie is the scene. What's the scene? What's at stake in the scene? How do you know when it's over? Well, you know when it's over because people have failed. So they got to try something different, right? I get it. Keep it short, get in late, get out early. In all, in all of the movies that you, you
0: wrote, and I'm sure it would be more than one, is there any one of those that give you more pleasure, more challenge? Is there any movie there or any play that you wrote that that was one of my favorites?
1: Well, no, you know, I like them all. But what you think about when you, uh, others have told me they have the same experience, especially as a director, is everything you got wrong. You look back and say, oh, my God, how could I have done that? Right? So every time you finish a movie, you say, okay, I made these following mistakes. My next movie, I'm not going to make those mistakes. But you are, and you're going to make new mistakes, too. So when you're making a movie, you plan as much as you can And then you're on the set and things will not go as you plan. So you have to improvise them to get down to the basic, you know, just like being in the mount. What's the basic? What's the point at which I'm safe? What's the scene about? He has to break up with the girl. Okay. If everything goes out the window and the mechanical dog dies, I know I got to get this scene. He has to break up with the girl in the can. What can't I throw away? What do I have to have? So you look back at, at movies you've made, you say, oh my God, didn't I know blah, blah, blah? How could I have done that? And I was reading too and I saw,
0: did you feel any kind of turning point on your life as you wrote, you direct, and to me become one of the best movies I've ever seen was like with uh, Haste. Oh. They become uh, huge in a way, or well, in your time, become international, I think with the highest box office or something like that for you. Was there any change or news? Like, man, I did something really special out there. And oh, later yeah. on, everybody wants to rent these movies.
1: Like, oh, I want to watch no, this movie. Great. No, the special thing is if you're not dead when they finish the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, it's so the same wrong. thing. If you, can last, if you can last one breath longer than the other guy, you just want it.
3: You will.
1: What would be,
0: let here, your favorite technique in jujitsu? The one that you enjoy the most
1: to oh, use against your I opponent? Love I love the side control. I really love really like it. i have never really good in the I love the side control. <laughs> <laughs> like, you like full locks. eh? Oh,
3: yeah, I like, yeah. like the full I heard, I
1: heard the that. Off. I was yeah. waiting yeah. for that one. They
3: got a lot of, You know, surprises. Oh, yeah. A lot of surprises. Yeah. And
0: following that, link that you made with Jiu Jitsu and evidently has to do a lot of the instructor. You end up making a movie about something that you saw you lived in Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. You end up making a movie about the situation, an academy, instructor. How is that? How is...
1: Well, there were, for, curiously, there were several very, very famous actors in the history of movies who were famous wrestlers. One of them was a guy called Matt Pendleton, who was in movies from the 30s on. And he always played the tough guy talking like that. And he had a bowler <laughs> hat. And he always played tough guys. And he was the silver medalist in wrestling. I guess it was or Roman at the 28th Olympic, 1928. And they said that he got robbed. He should have won the gold medals. And then there was a guy called Mike Mazurki. Mike Mazurki was six, And he always played the big... And he was a lawyer in New York, and he wasn't making any money during the Depression. And the guy says, you're a big guy. Why don't you become a professional wrestler? So he did. And then there was a guy called Stanislav Zabisko, who was a champion of the world, and he lost to Ed Strangler Lewis, right? And he's in a movie called Night End of the City about a famous wrestler. And he plays the famous wrestler. And then my favorite is a guy called Kola Quariani who was, uh, I guess he was, he was Russian, and he's in a movie called um, The Killing by Stanley Kubrick. And he does this great wrestling routine, and it's my favorite movie, uh, my favorite film noir. And if you look back, it's, he's supposed to be a wrestler who's going to make a disturbance in a um, cafe at a racetrack to distract all the cops. <laughs> Right, and so he does, and he knocks the shit out of them. But then I went back, and I found that there's a kinescope, an early recording that was his routine, with two guys. He's supposed to be this big wrestler, which he was, and two guys come out of the audience, I and mean, it's a beautiful routine. So I always loved wrestling, and I loved fight movies, and I wondered how do you make a fight movie? Because finally, what you have to, you have to end up with the fight, and how do you shoot a movie with 3,000 extras, you can't, right? So how do you finesse that? So I was thinking a lot about that and so in love with, you know, working with Nato and working with Jiu-Jitsu. And one time, uh, uh, Hickson called me up and he said, Nato says, says Hickson is staging an event downtown. I'm going to come. You want to come? I say, yeah, sure. So I, I'm not quite sure what he was trying to try out something,
3: right? No, uh. Hicks Royce? No, it's
1: Hickson. No, Hickson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. did,
0: He did. Uh, I don't know. He, it oh, yeah, was two yeah, rounds, yeah. five, some Red yeah, House. It was in a the, theater yeah. somewhere there. No, so yeah. I, I think yeah, it was a place that they used to do wrestling events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: You know, maybe it might be the Olympic Stadium, maybe. Yeah, I think so. So. So, he yes. says, so he says, so come and sit down with me on the control board. So I'm watching and watching and watching. So at one point he says to me, he says, how do you make it dramatic? Because we know, you know, two guys are tied up. Mm -hmm. One guy might be trying to get an extra quarter inch to get, but you can't show that on TV. The audience needs too much information. So I I came up with this idea. I said, what about if you had like a lottery and every guy get issued a defect? What about that? And so he thought about it and he said, yeah, no, it's kind of interesting, but no, right? So that got me thinking, no, it is interesting. And then some people said, oh, that's not possible. But then Randy Couture won the, won, won the championship with a broken arm. He was hurt, yeah. He was hurt. So that was, that was it. I thought, okay, that's a good story. I love, I love this world, right? I, you know, as you can tell, as do we all. Yeah.
3: And the movie's beautiful, you know. Yeah, I thank so you. work so many good friends. Your brother, Jean-Jacques Ward. I think we was a vacation time and I have a teacher like days. Everybody enjoy
1: you know. Uh, I twig.
3: We have so many guys that, you know, helping the movie. Daniel No Sons, David. Danny. I remember David. Who was going to put you being the grandmaster? Yeah. And then I see this guy in the audition. And I'm like, know oh, man. And then why Daniel Sons and they <laughs> Daniel Sons. No,
1: because we were talking about it. <laughs> Who's gonna play the year the Sensei Right, He's going Yeah, to, the that, sensei. Like for several Dan, months, I'm yeah. saying we need somebody like Danny Alonsante. We need somebody like Danny. So two months later, yeah. so Nato says, "Well, what about Danny?"
3: So- <laughs> it's so beautiful, <laughs> oh, and it's Dan. Cool, the movie's so beautiful, Dan. The Guru Dan, uh, he needed to appreciate for us awesome for martial arts. I yeah, think sure. show him like the grandmaster, and they gave him the opportunity. To
0: be. I I heard you always talking to Renato some years ago and he mentioned to me that when you get into write something, one of the things that you do is you want it to be very realistic. And he was mentioned to me that you're even taken a bus to be in the bus to feel how that is in LA to write a story yeah, he about write something. Notes.
3: David write notes here after the play, give me a pen, let me write something here. Oh no. He, he take around walk, you get the bus, he's go everywhere. Yeah, so that's no, what said, to
0: get into that, I don't know, mood. And, and he's something.
3: a great piano guy. He goes to the piano to write his songs. Yeah, that's right. He loves music, goes go that deep in the piano and he start to take some technique. Like you have your technique, you know how to take the techniques. You take the technique to let is,
1: is that,
0: I would say, one of the moments creative
1: time for you? No, not though. you got the story a little bit mixed up, which is not unusual because, <laughs> you know, you can't speak English, right? I do know, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, what I said is when I was first starting, I was doing my plays in Chicago, the critics will say, oh, this guy can't write. He just listens to people on the bus and writes down what they say. <laughs> and I always thought, well, that's a hell of a compliment. But
0: Let me ask this, you, is... After all that you've done, did you ever have a chance to speak or heard from these people that said, You're not good at that, you cannot do that? That happened in your life and that bump into this? No, I know know
1: it's play past
0: it. But do you think that in a way was something that ended up on the end, help you to achieve?
1: No, that's a good question. I don't know. No, you Mm -hmm. know what? I always knew they were wrong. I never doubted for a second, they were just wrong. I felt sorry for him. Uh-huh. But yeah. you're
2: your, sorry, your story though is the kind of the, the nice thing. It's why we do this podcast. It, it's something that will maybe make people open their eyes a little bit when, especially being, you know, we have a whole generation of young people coming up and mm-hmm. teachers. And because I, I remember even for myself, most of my teaching was good, but there was the occasional teacher here or there that would just say something that would be, it could be really positive or it could be horrible and it kind of scars you. And having, letting people know that it was very obvious that you were not stupid, you were gifted. It was mm-hmm. just the teacher was not properly trained to deal with someone such as yourself. They didn't realize what they, what they had in front of them because they didn't understand it. They just chose to kind of discard you, not realizing, no, you were you were obviously meant to go places because you have these creative gifts. You just didn't know how to use them.
1: That's absolutely true. And, you know, I was thinking about the people talk about bullying at school, bullying at school, bullying. You know, when I was a kid, the answer was hit him back. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I was thinking about there is bullying at school and it's bullying by the teachers. And how do we know? It's because, I don't know about in Brazil, but in America, kids grow up and we all have the school dream. Right. Yes. The school. Oh my God! I didn't do my homework. Oh my God! They uh, the answer, "Why didn't I study for the test?" Blah blah blah. Because you have this dream all through your life. So I mean, not to be Freudian about it, but I say, you know, maybe it's just cause and effect. Because what the teacher says, "How dare you?" or "You fool!" or "Sit in the back of the class," or, Phew. and so that's our first interaction with our parents giving us up to the world. And so if our parents. Give us up to the world as I have to do. And the first reaction is go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. We remember that. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like in
0: portion of your life where we learned so much on the street by doing. Mm-hmm. Not just as a school telling you this is the right way. You learn like not for me. And you end up finding and become successful the way you are. I want to ask you something because I saw that movie, I don't know, many years ago. and with a lot of stories that I heard from my uncle, I was able to relate it. Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog, yeah. I love that movie. Thanks. How long ago was that, and what made you do that movie in Because Until today, for me, it's very present time, that movie.
1: Well, that was one of the great experiences. Uh, uh, Barry Levinson, uh, who directed that movie, I was living in Vermont, he called me up, he says, listen, he says, I bought this book. It's called, I think it's called An American Hero. And I want you to adapt that. I say, what's the story? He says, well, the story is that there's the American president, and he gets in such trouble that he has to pretend to start a war. I said, stop right there. Okay. So I sit said, I write the movie. I send it to him. And five weeks later, they were shooting the movie. Oh, well, oh I forgot the point. He says, he gets, I say, he says, and how he gets in trouble. I said, no, no, don't tell me how he gets in trouble. I know how he gets in trouble. He gets in trouble because he's fucking a Girl Scout. <laughs> so Barry says, yeah, go write it. So like, it was great. It was just one of those times, just everything happened kaboom. Like I can't that. forget it.
0: Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. I can't Uh-oh. forget that movie. It was uh, something that I'm still so vivid in my mind. And I saw that, I don't know, 10 years ago and a long time. Yeah, One yeah. of yeah. my favorites, time.
2: even though I know you weren't, you didn't direct it, but you wrote it, was um, Glengarry Glen Ross. That's oh, yeah. Like one of my favorite movies. And you can tell watching it that it was a play because it's pretty much...
1: In one right setting,
2: there. yeah, the whole time. What well, a guy did a great. Jamie Foley did a great job directing that movie. You talking about a movie that gives you anxiety. You know, there was like, this, <laughs> yeah, like you said that that yeah. tension. You're watching it and you're just constant. You're kind of just glues you. and You're wondering what's going to happen and then when it all plays out, you're just. Well, where does the, the confidence come from? Well, I confidence.
1: The, my confidence. Yeah. And I'm a show. Off. I mean, what? You know, what the hell? I'm a show. I always, I always love telling jokes. Right, so. People go into show business for two reasons. One, they had a wretched childhood, and two, they're a show-off. They like being a center of attention, right? I don't know how to juggle, so I told jokes. So a play is just an extended joke. That's all it is. That's the same thing. you got a a, a, a setup, and you got a punchline that's surprising but inevitable, right? Like, for example, we're doing this right writing the movie of uh, Red Belt, Red Belt, Red Bull. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it. He's going to end up in the ring and bebbity Bobity boo That's how it has to end up. That's how it has to end up. So I said, okay, what's surprising but inevitable? He doesn't get to the ring because the audience is all waiting for him to go yeah. to the ring. They're all set for say, I understand. He's going to blah, blah, blah. He's going to go to the ring. You're going to think he's beat. He's going to come back. Blah, 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 blah. So out of nowhere, he's going to fight to get to the ring. So all of a sudden, the audience go, wait, whoa, duh. Okay, I'll watch that. Is there any
0: difference on David Mehmet before and after jiu-jitsu?
1: Well, you know, I've, as I say, I'm very fortunate. And I've learned several things in life that I love so deeply that speak to me so deeply that I uh, treat them with great attention, and jiu jujitsu is 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 one of them. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is move to the side, stand still. You're not if you're not in trouble, don't go looking for trouble. Stand up straight. Figure it out, get yourself to a safe place. It's Wonderful. Let and the only like, other thing is, you don't have to be afraid of anybody. No. Well, you might get beat, but you don't have to be afraid. No. Of.
0: Jiu-jitsu give you that, oh, that's a big guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bigger the tree, how yeah. does they fall? <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> and if they fall, I'm pretty, we're pretty good on the ground too. Who is David Mehmet?
1: I don't know. I have no idea i like, somebody once, somebody once said to me, they said, you know, I'd like to be inside your mind for half an hour. I said, you, you wouldn't like it. <laughs> He's a pilot. Yeah, it's one of the things
0: now I heard you like to do is fly. Yeah, I like to fly airplanes. And what is what is that, is that adrenaline brings to you? Is just no. a new challenge for you to
1: It's interesting to because it's very much like Jiu Jitsu. And that what you want to do is you want to make the adrenaline go away. You want to learn little by little
0: to manage yourself, that.
1: Put yourself on it's like the, there's a, a ancient phrase of pilots. They say, "What's the first thing you do in an emergency? Wind your watch and set your watch, <laughs> because you want just like you know, like a new guy. You know, you tie up with the new guy. He's gonna have a heart attack right now." But right, he's going to choke himself out, hyperventilating. <laughs> so what you have to learn to do is manage the, manage the adrenal, make it go away. Say, I get it. I've been in a situation somewhat like this before. I understand. What's happening to me now? Nothing. Oh, good. Let me take a moment and figure out what to do next. In, in,
0: in your whole life, is if you could pick some moments that, in a very positive way, mark to you that you carry with you, is there a moment in your life that becomes literally unforgivable that you carry on as a? I was like a support for you to keep going for the next project for the next challenge in your
1: life. Well, yeah, I'm sure there are, there were a lot of them. I mean, I think the most important moment in my life is I, I met my wife thirty three years ago and I saw her, and I I basically said, get your coat. And that so that was <laughs> that was the, that was the moment. That, she did, so that was the moment that changed my life. And so I'm... I just said to her the other day. I said, "You know, you're so gorgeous. You're so beautiful. You're so wise. You're so patient with me. Why would you want to go with a schmuck like me?" I said, <laughs> so she said, I, "I don't know. You seem like a nice enough guy." <laughs> not... Was she right? I have no idea, but she thinks so. No, it's uh, it,
0: it's incredible, Dave, because. To us that come from another country and never knew how how big Jiu-Jitsu would get. We knew the value of jiu-jitsu teaching, be able to have the chance to spread this incredible art and would says a, a lifestyle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: To have and come to America and have so many icons, people that do have a huge impact in what they do to so many people. Now they become part of Jiu-Jitsu and also not only impact us, but takes Jiu-Jitsu also to impact other people because just the simple fact that you mention Jiu-Jitsu to a lot of different audience than our audience make people realize, like, what is Jiu-Jitsu? Mm-hmm. If David Memet does Jiu-Jitsu, it must be something good because we we get students in our school that, how do you hear about us? Oh, I saw David Mamet mention he jujitsu Jiu-Jitsu in Santa Monica great. Come on in. Just the fact to oh, mention good. one time here and there we get new students. Um, I don't know how to to start and uh, first I want to thank Renato oh, for yeah, giving us, you, us such a yeah. uh, uh, making that happening for so many years and we're having a chance with the the time that our country goes right now it's so so strange. We end up having the podcast with our intents is to send positive message to people there. We already have too many not-so-good news every day. And having an opportunity to talk to you, get a little glimpse of your, of your life on the mat, outside the mat, it's a very, very positive message that I want people to hear out there. Is there any quote that you read or that you have on you from anybody that you use as a tool for something, a quote on your life, something in a book or something that maybe Bruce Lee said or something that you, a book of somebody who's a writer too, or even a quote, something that you wrote, that you mark something that I love. Every time I read that, every time I heard someone say, it carries me on to.
1: Well, I mean, I read the Bible, right? I read the Bible every day, and every day I read it, and every year I read it, I say, well, was this book that smart last year? (laughs) This book has gotten awfully smart. It always seems to be applicable to me that day, which I guess is why it's been around for a while. That's That said it all. David, thank
0: you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Share with us. and uh, All right, guys, stay tuned. Man, David Mammoth, can you believe it? is in our podcast thank you guys see everyone next time